Within three months, I shut down my previous business and reopened the new one. And within a year later, my business multiplied five times. Welcome to Business Owners Radio. Business Owners Radio, where established business owners get the latest insights, strategies, and practices to grow a sustainably profitable business. And now, taking care of business, your hosts, Craig Moen and Shai Gilad. Welcome to Business Owners Radio, Episode 104. Our guest today is Jeffrey Shaw, author of the new book, Lingo. Discover your ideal customer's secret language and make your business irresistible. Jeffrey has been the go-to portrait photographer to an exclusive clientele for over 30 years. His portraits have appeared on The Oprah Show, CBS News, and in O, People, and New York Family magazines. During this time, he has gained a deep level of understanding of the grand spectrum of customer base there is, and more importantly, how to develop the most ideal segment for your business. His new book, Lingo, helps business owners and entrepreneurs understand their ideal customers on a deeper level, increasing engagements and profits. Good morning, Jeffrey. Welcome to Business Owners Radio. I'm thrilled to be here with you guys. Thank you so much for having me. And it's a great day to have you on board. And Jeffrey, share with our listeners the story of the pivot point in your business and your trip to New York back in the 80s. Yeah, way back then, right? <laughs> so, yeah, I had, uh, you know, I was a young guy. I was 20 years old getting out of photography school, which uh, was a 10 month program, wasn't an extensive program, but it was the most direction I had or an inclination of what to do in life. You know, I finished high school, I took a year off, floundered didn't really know what to do with myself, kind of thought I wanted to be an architect, but didn't want to put that much time into education. So off I went to try my hand at photography. Wasn't sure if it was a real valid profession or not. I had really laid back parents. They never asked. I don't know if they noticed. (laughs) So off I went and I got out of photography school and I was 20 years old and went back to my hometown and I had these grandiose ideas about building you know, an amazing portrait photography business. And it was going to be what I considered high-end for that market. And the reason that's important is because it represented how important I thought family portraits were. You know, I thought you know, handing down family portraits down from generation to generation is imperative. And therefore, to express that, people should pay a lot of money. Of course, what I was charging, I learned later on, was just a lot of money for that area. And so I, I swung at it for three very long years and hit a lot of obstacles all along the way. Within 10 months of starting my business, my father died suddenly. I got married. You know, I had tons of obstacles in business. And three years into it, I was struggling, beating my head against the wall and uh, failing. And I had the good fortune to have an experience, an interchange with a prospective client who let it me know very clearly that she just couldn't afford my services and said something along the lines of, that's great and all, but I don't have the luxury of worrying about my children's memories, about handing things down. When she used the word luxury, that really hit a trigger point for me because I realized a good reason why I was struggling is I was trying to sell what I valued to an audience who couldn't afford what I valued. And quite honestly, I don't think they valued it a whole lot. You know, I mean, who doesn't value photographs to a degree? But to pay big bucks, I don't value it that much. And that's just it, right? We all have a breaking point at whether something's that important to us or not, whether we're willing to pay for it. And this was a market that was not willing to pay for photography. It just wasn't that important to them. So I, you know, I had to learn the luxury market. The problem was, you guys, that 
I was a lower middle-class kid. I knew nothing about the luxury market. So the pivot point for me was getting up the courage to go down to what I knew to be probably one of the most expensive stores in New York City. I lived about two hours north and it was Bergdorf Goodman in New York City, which is smack on Fifth Avenue. Millions of people visit New York City every day and don't even know it's there. And that's the point, right? It's a store that's not for everybody. And in I went to the store with a sole purpose to educate myself as to how businesses and brands catered to the high-end market. What I walked away learning that day not only profoundly changed my life and in an afternoon helped me make a decision that I was going to close my previous business and start over again with a whole new strategy. It also taught me, which is the biggest lesson and hopefully a takeaway for your listeners today, is that every market has what I refer to as a secret language. This is not a story and a journey of just having a high-end business, but whoever your ideal customer is, there is a deep and emotional way by which you need to connect with them to gain their business. It's what I refer to as a secret language. And the irony is that we're talking a lot about language, but the irony is, is that it's actually creating that unspoken bond that people just like, they get you, they want to do business with you, they're drawn to you, they're not even sure why, but they just know that you're the right one for them. And that's the goal of what I refer to as lingo and the name of my book and the strategies I teach. Jeff, what did you experience that caused you to first recognize this idea of this language in those days in New York? So, you know, it's a, it's a funny little story and, and I'm going to make it really super concise, but in my effort to know everything about the luxury market, I asked for something to be wrapped. It was this tiny little candle. And while this woman was wrapping, which by the way, when I was brought over to the gift wrap department, I asked the woman to show me how she was doing it. And she actually invited me into the back room. Uh, she totally got that I was there to learn something. And plus, I always figured I either looked like a poor kid that was trying to find my way, or I looked like a really rich heir who could get away looking the way I did. Like I didn't look like I belonged there. So there I am in the back room with this woman and she's wrapping this little candle and all this tissue paper. And then she stops with the most dramatic pause you can imagine. I mean, it's so over the top. I don't know that I can even demonstrate it in the book, but she looks at me with all this drama and says, don't use any tape. Now guys, that changed my life. <laughs> as silly as it is, don't use any tape because that was absolutely perplexing to me. Like, why do you not use tape when you're wrapping something up, right? So she went on to explain to me that when, you know, when someone gives this as a gift, which is why I'm having it wrapped, this, her exact words were something along the lines of, you know, this clientele is very particular. They're going to untie the ribbon, take off the box top, unfold all the tissue paper, make sure the candle is perfect, refold the tissue paper, put the top back on and retie the ribbon. If I had used any tape, you wouldn't be able to do that without it being obvious you disturbed the packaging. Now, that just blew my mind because that was my first indication. The first one of many. My first indication is that there's a way of doing things that emotionally connects with the people that you're serving. That if you're not from that, you would never know that. I never knew that. Then I started looking at everything. I started looking at the pricing psychology. I looked how the merchandise was laid out. I looked at all their ways of communication and realized this is a brand, as you know, many others, that totally gets not just the demographic and the statistics of their ideal customer, but they get how they function, what their life looks like. They get their emotions down to the fact that this woman knew the recipient would open this box and tape would be a problem. It was the simplest of phrases that blew my mind. And I realized that that's just the way business works. It works well. It's creating a deep emotional connection because you totally get your ideal customer and they in turn 
appreciate that. They're like, wow, this business really gets me. Jeff, this sounds like a profound event. (laughs) However, I can think of so many businesses that throw their marketing out there. They spend boatloads of dollars into their marketing every year. And they have no real way of knowing, are they really hitting the mark or what the real mark is? So living in that client's world that you want to attain business from doesn't sound like a one-day event. It, well, it, it was the beginning of a one-day event, right? I mean, I will say, and I was asked this recently, and it really forced me to look at it. Within three months, I shut down my previous business and reopened the new one. And within a year later, my business multiplied five times. So the lesson, the awareness, the aha moment, if you will, came in an afternoon. The strategies to employ it take a little time, and that's true of any business. <laughs> this is where being a small business and entrepreneur, we're a little more agile. The bigger the business, it may take a little time to turn those wheels, but it can be done and needs to be done. One of my hopes, now again, the book is titled Lingo. I hope that, and I didn't realize this until the book was done and I'm out there doing podcast interviews. I realized that in my heart, part of my dream here is that lingo becomes the new marketing buzzword, that we get away from avatars and buyer personas, which have been scratching the surface of the idea for years in marketing. But what I hope is that this idea of lingo, like really understanding the unspoken energy of business, to understand the essence of someone, to understand what's in their heart, what compels them, what finishes the thoughts in their head. (laughs) That's lingo, right? That's what I hope. In fact, I will even say, I think it's going to become necessary, but that's what my hope is for putting this concept out there. Um, So no, it, it may not happen overnight, but you can make a fundamental decision to say, this is how I want our business to interact with our ideal customer, and then start putting the strategies forward. And as you start building that awareness, you have the first flavoring from the box event in New York City. What else were you finding in the discovery process of who this perfect client would be? You know, I think some of the other things that started standing out to me and still has a huge impact on me today is the psychology of pricing. You can position your business, or I should say how a business gets positioned, really by the pricing. Now, there are times that we don't buy something because it's not priced high enough. And because it's not priced high enough, we assume it's not good quality. Once I started looking at the whole psychology of price, then I started seeing a lot of other things. Like one of the things that absolutely fascinates me even today is how when you go into not even a discount store, but if you go into a Walmart, which would be a discount store, but you go into a Target, you know, the difference there is Walmart is speaking the secret language of, for cost-conscious shoppers, where Target is speaking a value-conscious language. The typical Target customer is not necessarily looking for the cheapest way out. They just want to feel like they're getting more bang for their buck. But when you go into a store like that, what intrigues me is that all the registers are lined up in the front of the store. I mean, it's interesting how the second you walk in, you actually see the transaction of doing business. And I've made a comparison recently to that being like a Greek diner. You walk into a Greek diner or any diner, there's a register and a bowl of mints right up front. All right. Interesting how in a cost-conscious or value-conscious language strategy, there's a lot of emphasis on the actual cost, the transaction of spending money. Whereas if you're in the higher end, if you go into a, even a, a Neiman Marcus and even a Macy's, which is not particularly a super high end these days, but I, and I will tell you, if you go to Bertdorf Goodman or a really exclusive brand, a boutique, you'll be hard pressed to find a register. It's always discreetly behind merchandise uh, or another room. Just like if you go to a fine restaurant, they're not going to have a register up front where the hostess stand would be. They're going to take your card and a leather bound folio and take it in the back room. So there's a lot of psychology going on place there. And that's always been a fascinating one to me. 
in a culture where price is more of an issue, how we actually make price more of an issue by making the transaction of spending money obvious. And yet on the other end, where money is not the issue, let's not talk about it. But that's kind of the point, right? Again, that's speaking the secret language. So let's, yeah, let's not draw attention to it. It's not a big deal to those folks. Jeff, you know, you're making me think about this. This is such a great observation, right? The cash register up front is screaming, hey, these prices are so low, you might as well grab as much as you can because you're getting such a great deal on it, right? And that is the differentiator, the reason you're coming into that store. Yeah, and the same, it's the same reason Walmart has rollback pricing. The whole idea is let's price everything to the 100th of a cent. Right, the message that sends to a cost-conscious customer. First of all, it just draws a lot of attention. It draws a lot of attention to price something at twelve eighty-one, you know, as opposed to just twenty dollars. No doubt, and unless you're Walmart, you are not going to win competing on price. Right, that's the race to the bottom. So, yeah. think of these brands that are able to differentiate in other ways and use pricing as a strength. And the other thing you made me think about was the Apple Store. Right. There's no cash registers at all. Right. Exactly. They actually, they're in the process of remodeling a lot of their stores. And if you'll notice, it's getting more relational, even less transactional. You're just going in to hang out and make a yeah. purchase. Yeah. You go in and you meet with these people that are super into tech, that know your name and anticipate what you need and, and try to understand how you're using those products. Right. And then they swipe you out very yeah. discreetly on a little card reader. Works nice using one of their own products. And a lot of them are abandoning the Genius Bar now. A lot of the stores don't have a genius bar anymore because a technician will just meet you at a table. Like they're getting away from that separation of here's where you get help and here's where you make a transaction. They're integrating that as well. So it's a great example. So where does a business owner start, right? If I'm operating every day, I think I know the customers I'm trying to attract. How do I really know who I'm trying to attract? Am I attracting the best people right now? Well, I'll go through that process, first of all, before I can begin to understand if I'm getting the language right or wrong. You know, and, and oddly enough, and this I think always helps people look at it the other way around, is that actually identifying who your ideal customer is has more to do with who you are and what your business does and serves and how you want to serve than it actually does initially the other person, right? Because at the end of the day, you know, it's much easier to sell something that is aligned, as I said a moment ago, with your values, right? So first, ask yourself, like, what does your business value? Who can you most serve? I think the other turning point that people need to realize is that we often think that we are our ideal customer. But chances are we've evolved out of being exactly where our ideal customer is now. Usually what we create in the world, whether it's a service or a product, we're often creating something that we are just a couple stages ahead of. So let's say, for example, look how many times in the world young people have gone through college and in college, hey, that's the basis of Facebook, right? There was a problem existed. So when they got out of college, they created a technology to solve a problem they had a few years ago, which winds up serving that audience a couple years behind them. And I find the same thing with many, many people. I mean, I coach other coaches and almost every coach is just a couple steps ahead of the people that they want to serve in as far as helping them transform their lives or their business, because you've been through that. So you have empathy because empathy is key here. Right? The only way you can really understand someone's secret language is with a clear mind, free of assumptions and free of judgment to actually have empathy and a desire to understand what does the world look like from their perspective. And chances are, if you've already walked through that stage in your life, you have the ability to put yourself in their shoes. So I think one thing a business has to do right away is to get out of the mindset that just studying the demographics and the statistics isn't enough. That's so precursory. That's just really scratching the surface. It's really recognizing, well, I am today not exactly who my ideal customer is 
now. I may have been or at some time in my life. So what can I do to go back there? What can I do to study them? And understand, you know, Sam Walton, members of his family are no longer or if ever were where their ideal customers. Same thing with a lot of technology that's created. It's created because a problem was solved. That's been a key turning point for a lot of entrepreneurs simply to realize that they probably are not their ideal customer right now. They once were. So to go back there and redefine for themselves how they can help them and who they are. Give us an example of how this works, Jeffrey. I'll tell you a story about one of my coaching clients. She's a a photographer of newborns and actually repeatedly voted the number one newborn photographer in the city of Boston. And interestingly enough, she's not a mom herself and has never had a baby, but has always done a great job. And it's a skill set she has, right? That's the thing. A lot of times we're drawn to doing what we do because of our skill set. So she had the skill set to be a fantastic newborn photographer enough that she would get recognized for her skills. But yet, you know, she reached out to a business coach because she wanted more for her business. She believed her business was capable of doing more. What was lacking to me was what she had been doing up to that point was promoting her skill set, which is what a lot of us do. But she wasn't speaking the secret language of her ideal customer. Like, what does it feel like to be a newborn parent? Which is a unique experience because to a newborn photographer, which I had to learn, being a photographer for decades, I never photographed newborns. What I learned is that the window of opportunity is two weeks. So basically two weeks after birth, you have to grab that newborn portrait. So I, being the father of three kids, although now well into their 20s, I can remember exactly what it felt like to have a newborn. And I was able to communicate to her, this is what it really feels like when you have that newborn is that it feels like your world has stopped. And yet you also recognize every moment is precious and time is going by real quickly. So what I encourage her to do, instead of promoting her business as you know the number one newborn photographer voted by such and such a magazine, instead of promoting her skill set, the way to get customers was to speak the secret language of our ideal customers. And what we came up with as a, a line for advertising was just that. You know, Imagine a beautiful photograph of a newborn and it says, has your world stopped yet time is going by so quickly? Now, that means something to the new mom breastfeeding at three o'clock in the morning flipping through Facebook. Right? She comes across that. She's like, whoa, this photographer really gets me. And what I find fascinating is that your assumption would be, wow, she gets me so well that she must have been there. And yet this is a photographer who actually has not had her own children, but is willing to hire a coach and also to dig inside of herself and do the work, the work of empathy to realize, you know, I can put myself there. I can imagine what it feels like to be the parent of a newborn. And then I'm willing to step up to bat and communicate that. And that's what stops people on their tracks. Such a powerful connection and you're connecting on this deeply emotional level. And that's the thing that converts like nothing else. Yeah. The basis of my book, Lingo, it actually started a few years ago. It wasn't obvious to me at the time that this was the book I was meant to write. About three years ago, I wrote an ebook called Emotional Branding Blueprint, which was my response to people asking me, well, you know, how did you hook these clients? And it's funny how they often would use the word hook, which I took kind of negatively. It's like, yeah, that's not what I'm doing. I'm not tricking or hooking people. But I got it because it felt like it was obvious when people looked at my business because I've been photographing the same families for over 30 years. Like, how did you get them so hooked on you? And so I took that question. I was always getting like, Jeff, what do you do differently? And how are you getting people hooked? And I, I realized that the hook was emotions. So I wrote this ebook years ago called The Emotional Branding Blueprint, which is about teaching the idea of emotional triggers. 
You know, what emotional triggers just really grab your ideal customer? And that eventually evolved into the book. So yes, this is absolutely a strategy to make people feel like, wow, this, this person, this business, this brand, this individual really gets me. And that supersedes price. It creates a, a brand devotion that is almost inexplainable. I was in a grocery store recently. I saw a bald guy with a Harley Davidson logo tattooed on his head. And I thought, now that's brand loyalty. Like, I mean, what do you do to get that? You know? Yes, it is. Yeah. And that's Harley. I mean, Harley as a brand has created that level of emotional connection. Yeah, it's that meaning, right? Because at the end of the day, it's people that are saying, I have such a strong association with this entity that I feel comfortable putting my name next to theirs. And I can't wait to recommend these products and services to other people because it's affecting me in that way. Yeah, I think as, as businesses, one thing we can start, we can think of ourselves differently. And I, I think if we think of ourselves as communities and not a business, I think that fundamentally can help us act differently. Like there's a different sense of responsibility you feel when you think, you know, I'm not building an email list, right? I'm actually building a community and I'm not just doing transactions, but with every transaction, I take responsibility for this person's involvement in my community. And I think if we start thinking of ourselves along those lines, like we're building a community instead of the transactional mindset of just building a business, I think it, it changes the level of responsibility. Suddenly you're like, oh, you know, I, I've got to step up here. This is more than just hopefully even a singular transaction. So that's something I've really taken note of and have worked into my own business as well to really just think about the nature of being in business is building a community and not just building our prosperity, et cetera. So maybe where to start now is to think about it from a standpoint of what do I have today and what is the idea that my community of users, of customers is built around right now? And am I really capturing that idea? And is that idea really aligned with who I am and who I want to serve? Yeah. And then you can pivot. One of my favorite podcasts, by the way, is Jenny Blake's podcast, Pivot, you know, for this reason. Like, I love the show. It's a great show and she's she's fantastic. And it's the concept of pivoting. Like, it's, it's never too late. In fact, to stay relevant, we have to pivot all the time. So, when I was writing lingo, I was constantly torn. Like, am I writing this for startups? Am I writing for people who have been in business a long time? And, you know, I have to say in my heart, I have greatest sympathy and empathy for people that have been in business a long time and need to pivot. So in a way, I was kind of more writing it for them. And yet, man, I would love to get this book and the strategies in it in the hands of everyone before they even go into business because 95% of businesses are built backwards, as mine was. I built the business I wanted and then spent three years trying to fit people into it as opposed to who's the ideal customer for which I want to build a business for. And guess what? When you build a business for the people that you are meant to serve and want to serve, they show up. You know, you're not chasing it down. It's a much easier road to success. You know, (laughs) this is so funny, right? Because Craig and I are, you know, in the same space and we're so grateful for your time today and trying to help people move their businesses forward and understand their businesses better in different ways. And I think of one of the universal things in my earliest days of going into business, one of these, you know, points, mythologies, whatever you want to call it, where a few business owners had said to me, oh yeah, well, what you end up doing is never what you start out doing. Mm -hmm. So just keep that in mind. That's just normal. Yeah. Right. But nobody ever offered up the, here's how to avoid that. (laughs) Or here's how to maybe figure that out ahead of time. All of us, you know, or a majority of us are sort of accidental entrepreneurs. There's an opportunity. We have the drive and the idea that maybe we want to do something better or we're frustrated with our last job. And we say, you know what, there's got to be a way I can do this better or do it differently. And then we just do that thing because we know how to do it, right? And you're really helping people challenge that from the earliest stage 
or helping people that are into it and maybe knee deep in it and maybe their business is stalling a little or they, they can't really figure out what it is that's missing, do sort of a reset and think about this in a new way. Yeah. Or I work with people who are doing great. They just want more, right? So we were chatting before about the 80-20 rule, the Pareto principle. You know, this is something I talk about in lingo a lot. Like this is, as I say in the book, I'm looking to bust up the Pareto principle. Now, I'm not going to challenge that it's not valid. It hasn't been a great formula, but for businesses today, and it's such a noisy marketing world, it's so difficult to even get noticed. The whole idea that eight out of 10 of our customers are not worth our time seems like a death sentence. Like I just can't imagine a worse way of being in business. That really the goal should be the other way around. You know, I will say that I succeeded in multiple industries I've been in, you know, photographer, coach, speaking in the areas of life that I've succeeded, it's because I only work with my ideal customers. You know, so much so in the, in my photography business that we didn't even refer to it as an average sale because an average inherently implies a, an average of the highs and lows. Where what I looked at is I looked at it as a typical. There was a range by which our ideal customer was going to spend and that's who we sought after. So I could say 95% of my business came in from 100% of my clients. It was just a whole different ratio. No time was wasted. So even if a business is doing really great, but maybe even the business owner wants a little more time in their life, more personal, well, then the way to make your business more efficient and highly profitable is to actually trim that ratio and only work with your ideal customers. And I think the fear, are there enough? Are there enough ideal customers? My answer to that almost is always yes. But you do have to do some study, like depending on the business, the market you're in. I mean, is there a broad enough market if you're highly specialized? You know, I've heard some pretty crazy businesses. I mean, there's those things out there, people doing very specific things. You know, I teach banjo lessons and you realize, man, there's a huge culture of banjo players out there. Uh, I met a photographer once that all he does is photograph ducks. He's got like 300,000 followers on Twitter. And what I found out, what I was so curious about, it, I started. There's organizations out there like called Ducks Unlimited, which has like seven hundred thousand members. Because so, guess what? There's a big market for all things ducks. Yeah, and I know you're a very accomplished podcaster as well with your show, Creative Warriors. And thinking about the podcast universe and just how narrow those slices can become. Yeah, I have so many favorite podcasts. There's one, um, Mindlessly Organized. Like the whole show is about organizing. And that just suits me because I'm a neat freak, right? I mean, I just love that idea. Like I show up at organizing. There's another one, which I've never listened to, um, but I came across it doing some research for a keynote that uh, the entire show is, it's been on the, it's been broadcasting for five years and the whole show is about pens. Now, I can't even imagine <laughs> talk about pens for five years, but that's how targeted it is. So there is an audience out there for everything. Well, Jeffrey, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your insight and knowledge and your book. Oh, it's really been a pleasure, you guys. And I, by the way, I love that you refer to it as ROL, return on listening. That's such a great thing for any podcaster. So I really appreciate what you guys are doing. It's a lot of fun. And is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? Sure. Well, I think the best way to get a, a sense of lingo and, and, uh, and what my work is all about and the message of the secret language is we've put together a collection of items specifically for your listeners called the Lingo Media Kit, which they can get at jeffreyshaw.com forward slash B-O-R. And in that Lingo Media Kit, there's a 
secret language infographic, which lays out visually the five steps that you learn in my book, Lingo. There's also a free chapter. It's the chapter on perspective, which is foundational to building that strategy. And there's also an audio version of the free chapter, which being a podcaster has been kicked up a few notches. It has sound effects and extra content and stories, etc. So the Lingo Media Kit can be found at jeffreyshaw.com forward slash B-O-R. Great place to start. And then of course, uh, grab your copy of, of my book, Lingo. Our guest today has been Jeffrey Shaw, leading portrait photographer and author of the new book, Lingo, Discover Your Ideal Customer's Secret Language and Make Your Business Irresistible. You can learn more about Jeffrey as well as find links to his new book, the Lingo Media Kit, and his website, all on our show notes at businessownersradio.com. This episode has been sponsored by Align for Business, providing owner and executive team coaching as well as business consulting to grow your business. That's aligned, the number four, business.com. Thank you for joining us on Business Owners Radio. We hope you enjoyed today's show. As always, you can read more about each episode along with links and offers in the show notes on our website, businessownersradio.com. We want to hear your feedback. Please leave comments on this show or suggestions for upcoming episodes. Tell your fellow business owners about the show and, of course, you would love the stars and comments on iTunes. Till next time, keep taking care of business.